0: Hey people, today's episode is all about one of my favorite things, something I talk about all the time on Instagram, therapy. I get a lot of questions on how I found my therapist, what I look for in a therapist, how does it work. Um, I am not a therapist, so I can only give my experience, but I'm super excited to have two licensed therapists on here to chat more about the process, the journey of becoming a therapist, and just their overall practice. So today we are joining joined by, with, not by, today we're joined with, or is it by? I don't know guys, today we're joined by, now I'm losing my mind, it might be, whatever. Emily and Jennifer, they are the owners of Westchester Therapy Group and the founders of the Shrink Chicks podcast. They are all about normalizing mental health struggles, anxiety and therapy, things that I obviously care a lot and I'm very passionate about. This episode is awesome, I had so much fun with them. We immediately, I texted them after and I was like, I feel like we're best friends. Did a friendship just form within two hours? Um, they're awesome. They're great. So I love this episode, but also we did record an episode on their podcast, Shrink Chicks. So definitely go check that out. We did a little podcast swap. It was such a fun afternoon. I think this is going to be one that you guys really enjoy. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie family. I am so motherfucking excited to share this episode with you because we just recorded on their podcast right before this. So at the end of this episode, whatever, it'll all be in the show notes. You will figure it out. You'll get a chance to listen to both of them. But I am joined with Emily and Jen, who are the owners of Westchester Therapy Group and the hosts of the Shrink Chicks podcast. They are so much fun. They are just like me. And I I mean, from what I got in our episode, I think you guys like to curse as much as I do. So that- automatically yep. is a win. So welcome ladies. I'm really pumped to have you.
1: Thank, Thank you for, having, you for us. having us. We're so excited. We're we're talking so much today and it's phenomenal.
0: It's phenomenal. I now that we're not on video, I'm like sprawled across my couch. <laughs> like legs are up. I feel like it's just like a hangout chill girls' night. We're just having um, a girls night. <laughs> yeah. This is also one of the few episodes of Every Done with two people. So bear with me as I try to manage like asking you each question. Totally fine. I feel like yeah, I'm, I'm going to try my best. And I know the fact that we don't have video probably makes it a little bit more difficult. So to kick things off, I guess I'll call on you like a teacher. Yes. Emily, how would you define success? Contentment. Oh, I mean like you that. Law. You're very to the point. Yeah. You're like, yep, was, this is my one word and it that's content
2: it. Content in my life, which I think we all tend to be obsessed with happiness And happiness is just an emotion, just like sadness or jealousy, and it comes and goes. Um, So being content.
0: That's beautiful. Absolutely. Jen, what about
1: you? I would say feeling like you can fully express who you are in all aspects of your life,
0: like complete authenticity. Yes. I'm big on authenticity. I absolutely despise fakeness and I always have and it's gotten me in trouble, but it's just, I I don't have time for it. I cannot take it. And it's, we're like in a society that I think it's
1: hard to find a lot of people who are really authentic because we kind of, we base our podcast on being our authentic selves Mm -hmm. and helping connect people to being their authentic selves. And I know you do the exact same thing. And I think, you know, that it helps people feel like they can be more of themselves without that judgment.
2: Which which is crazy because that's also something, you know, we're in grad school when you're being taught to be a therapist, you, there is parts of yourself, right? So therapy is not about you when you're a therapist. It's about your clients. So there's parts of yourselves that you have to mute, you know, even if it's like facial reactions or judgments or criticism or any of these things. And so it's really hard When you're first in the field figuring out the art behind how do I be myself in the room and then how do I honor this client and make it all about them? And that's definitely like a lifelong journey in therapy. But the reason that we started Westchester Therapy Group is because we wanted to create a place that had just absolutely no psychobabble bullshit. Because if I had heard one more fucking therapist say, well, how does that make you feel? I was going to die.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. I remember I did like a trial and error with a few therapists when I was trying to find the one and one was so like, how does that make you feel? What do you think caused that? I'm like, I got to get out of here. I can't
2: handle this conversation. And, that, and Honestly, and that type of therapist is great for some people, but it wasn't great for me and it wasn't great for you, Jen. And like, the one of the Reasons we connect was like we had both had had such negative experiences in therapy prior to becoming therapists, which is a big part of why we became therapists. We're like, we could do this better.
1: And, Mm -hmm. and the, you know, we, we know that the most important predictor of success in therapy is the therapeutic relationship. So if you're, if you as a therapist aren't connected with your authentic self and feeling like you can be yourself without um, bringing all of your, shit into the room right? where you're creating a space where it's for the client, but you can still be yourself as a therapist where you don't have to put on this front. Um, it allows you to connect with the client in a completely different way where you don't feel like you're talking to a therapeutic wall,
0: which I think so many people have felt when they've gone to therapists. Absolutely. And it's so funny because I've become so close with my therapist. I mean, as close as a therapist, like, yes. a client can become, but I, she actually lives in my area of New York city. And so I ran into her once I was getting breakfast with a friend and I saw her in the restaurant and I was like, Oh my God, hi. And she kind of acted like she didn't know me. And, and the uh, the next session she was like just so you know I'll never purposely acknowledge you in public if you want to talk to me you can but I never want to put you in an awkward position when you're with someone else and I was like oh that's fine okay whatever and then two weeks later I'm walking with my mom and I run into her on the street and I'm like "Aaron, oh my god <laughs> and I'm like "Aaron, this is my mom and she's like oh no way and my mom was so confused to who Aaron was because she hears me talk about my therapist but not like that and so she thought it was my influencer friend Aaron. so she's like oh Oh my God, I love your, your account. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, mom, this is my therapist. And it was so funny. And th- it, my therapist was like, oh my God, I feel like, I like. can I give you a hug? And she hugged my mom. My mom was like, well, I must not be that bad of a mom if you oh. like me. And it was interesting because the next session, my therapist was actually like, I want to apologize. I shouldn't have asked your mom for a hug. That was really inappropriate. I'm like, Erin, are you kidding? I want to hug you every day after every second. I <laughs> Because I feel like I'm supposed to give you these boundaries. So it, it's really interesting. And she even, for me, as such a, you know, I share everything about my life on this platform. She, she'll she say, like, I will, ne- I will never look at your stuff unless you tell me you want me to directly look at something. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I will never look into any of the stuff you're doing. And I think it, it must be hard. Like, it's I so feel hard. like... <laughs> It
2: bubble. is. Well, it's hard because we really love our clients, right? Like, we really want to fucking hug them all the time. Like, yeah, like, we care
1: about our clients very oh much. Like, Erin like, probably really cares about you. She yeah, I you,
2: think right? she does. Like, and that's the thing. So, like, it is really hard because often, like, especially when a client stops – right? When they're doing, and here's the thing, like we're the only job where that when a client's really doing great, we lose business, <laughs> right? True. Like we're the only profession that it is this way. And so, especially like when a client's just doing amazing and they go from every week to every other week to maintenance sessions, like then eventually they're like, all right, like, you know, we're going to terminate therapy. And it's like, oh my God, I love you. Like it, it's difficult.
1: <laughs> like we're so happy for you
2: right.
0: and we will miss you so much. I'm so sad. <laughs> That would be really hard. And I, I mean, think, I can't imagine terminating because I would lose Aaron. Right, right. It's it is a
1: real relationship. And I think the tough thing, and we say the same things to our clients. Like if we see them on the street, we don't acknowledge them. They're welcome to say hi to us. Um, because, you know, therapy is created as this very confidential platform, right? It's our job to maintain that confidentiality, but It's very interesting um, because I think the push for it to be so confidential also adds to a little bit of the stigma, right? Like it it should be such a secretive thing that you go to therapy. Like it's something that should be looked down upon in some way. And so, you know, that's part of our ethics code. We will hold confidentiality no matter what. But, you know, I push back Against it internally because I think that it just lends itself to the stigma of going to therapy for your mental health like yeah. you don't have to keep it secret if you go to the gym physical
0: trainer right
1: yeah exactly yeah. so or even, or
2: even the fucking doctor if you go in for your annual visit no one's like hiding that right we're like oh I went to the doctor good job right mm-hmm. like it, so it's true like you know HIPAA came to protect people but there's also created a huge stigma. Um, with it, and one of the things that we really want, specific, especially with string chicks, is to make therapy incredibly accessible and very normalized.
0: Yeah, and relate. I am all totally. I'm all for normalizing therapy. I grew up. In a house where my mom was going to therapy, I just thought it was a normal thing that people did. I went right out of college and then I stopped. And then the second I quit my job, I said that my my new first goal would be to find a therapist because it was something that I knew I had to do. And for me, I remember talking about it once on my Instagram for the first time, being like, yeah, I found a therapist. I'm really pumped about it. Okay, going to therapy. And I got all these messages like, oh, you go to therapy? Oh, my God. I, I can't believe you're saying this to so many people. Like, this makes me feel so much less alone. I'm like, why are we embarrassed for right. taking care of ourselves?
1: It, yeah, honestly, it makes no sense to me. Because it just adds to this idea that, like, you're not supposed to struggle with mm-hmm. anything in your mental health. And I was, I'm sorry, I know I'm talking, so, I talked so much on our last podcast about your I TikTok, know. but I was talking your TikTok this morning <laughs> and I saw um, that you took that test about generalized anxiety disorder. Oh my God. And that yes. there were these questions that, and you were saying, like, does anyone not feel anxious? I feel the same exact way. Like, I, and I tell my clients this. I think everyone has a level of anxiety. Everyone struggles with something in their mental health. If they say that they don't, they just don't know it.
2: Mm-hmm. I take those fucking assessments.
0: <laughs> same. So I have the funny story, backstory of that. I didn't know this assessment existed until I was listening. I forget how I, I heard about it. And at night when I, Am high and in bed is when I think of all these TikTok videos. And I started to realize that I had all these great ideas, but the next morning I was forgetting them. <laughs> so I decided I would start recording myself in bed yes. saying what the concept <laughs> is. And I'm going to text you after this the video of me in bed explaining that video to myself to do it the next day. It is so Please. comical. Please. Oh my God, I I I I need to, need to see that. that. Yes. Okay. So I'll, I'll start a group chat after Please. this. Please. It's perfect. It's so funny. Um, um but thank you for watching and enjoying the TikTok content <laughs> but i agree i think You know, even for me, and I think it goes a step further, not just therapy, but even then when we get into medication, for me, I struggled with anxiety for so long. One of my closest friends has been on medication to assist with her mental health for a very long time. And she kept being like, "Cam, do you think maybe you should go on medicine? And I was so like, oh my God, no. Are you kidding? What? I would, like, I don't need that. And it wasn't until my neurologist after my concussion recommended going on amitriptyline and I remember feeling so broken and mm-hmm. then realizing why, why does this make me broken? Like, why does this make me less than? This is very normal. And I, the, the thing that really forced me to go on it, I remember like looking at the side effects and I was on all these Reddits and it was like weight, g- weight gain is a potential side effect. And I was like, oh my God, I can't do that. And then I was like, wait a second, I'm not willing to go on a medication to help my mental, mental health in the fear of I might gain five pounds. Mm. Fuck that, I'm going on it. And I said on my stories, I'm trying a medication, all this stuff. And it's similar to therapy. The second you announce that you're doing it, everyone comes out of the woodworks and it was all these people that, some, sure, I had no idea who they were. They're in just the community, but some of my close friends are like, oh, yeah, I'm on Lexapro. Oh, I'm on Zoloft. I'm like, why don't we all talk about this? Right. If everyone, is, you don't know everyone's medicated until you announce that you're medicated.
2: And, and there's, and there is, we hear this all the time from clients of like, well, how do I know when I should go on medication? Like, have I really done everything? And we yeah. have this thing where you have to be like severely suffering to get help. You wouldn't mm-hmm. like, if you broke your fucking arm, you wouldn't be like, well, I tried to heal it on my own. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Like, you'd be like, oh, I got to get some goddamn help for this, right? I say often, I could not, I'm a mom, I have an 18-year-old, uh, 18-year-old. I have
1: 18-year-old, <laughs> I was like, damn, what
2: you had her early. <laughs> I have an 18-month-old daughter. I would not be able to parent without Zoloft. I will 100% mm-hmm. say that. It is no, nothing I... wrong, there's nothing broken in me. I literally need it, and it makes my life so much easier. Why would I make myself fucking suffer? Why right. am I obsessed with suffering?
1: Right, like we're, people, we're people with suffering. Right, people who have like chronic migraines, for example. Like, my have you ever had a migraine? They're horrible.
0: Yes, it's so, one of my symptoms post concussion. Oh yes, yes.
1: So like people have chronic migraines, right? There's there is medication for it. We have we don't have shame in saying I need to take this medication um, because I'm in so much pain, but. It, for some reason, with the stigma, feels so different for mental health, right? You can be in so much pain and suffering. For some reason, we blame ourselves
0: for that. Mm-hmm absolutely and like i do believe that sure you can try a few things it's not like it has to be the the first thing you turn to right. but for so long i was like my therapist always says i'm trying to perfect my anxiety it's the recovering perfectionist in me mm. where i'll say i don't understand i'm doing all these things i take cbd i'm going to therapy i journal i meditate why do i still have anxiety she's like cameron it's not, it, it like, you just have to figure out ways to manage it and handle it rather than obsess with never having it. Right. Like, it doesn't and, go away. Right. And, and you know, maybe med- – and that's when medication also became one of the things in my toolkit. But I think that we're so obsessed with – And I get messages all the time like, how do you get your anxiety to go away? How do you get this to go away? I'm like, why can't we also just accept that maybe some things are just happening and we find ways to manage it rather than to completely like act like we can get rid of it because also right. there's just something in your blood maybe. Yes, yeah. totally. Yeah, there's there's right? something
1: like, yeah, there's something in your brain and you know what the the fucked up thing about anxiety is the more you tell yourself you shouldn't have it or it needs to go away the more anxiety you have. Yes. <laughs> Like, trying to push it down just makes your anxiety so much worse. So actually being able to say, it is okay that I have this anxiety. How am I going to manage it? How am I going to take care of myself through it? Is the real way to manage it because pushing it down just makes it more intense. When you tell yourself don't think about something, it's the first thing you're going to think about.
2: Absolutely. We always think about it as that Chinese finger trap. Remember that fucking thing you'd get for like, yeah. like a quarter at like, you know, whatever the fucking grocery store at the end of it or some shit. Like, and right. So if you try to pull out of it, it locked you in. If you put your fingers in and leaned into it, you, you came out. And so it's leaning into the anxiety it's leaning into the frustration it's leaning into whatever emotions meeting them with the curiosity and saying what's going on for me here
1: I was absolutely i was struggled with that finger trap <laughs> I really don't think I could get out of it. Like, they kind of scared me when I was younger, I have to say.
2: Really interesting because you have very small fingers. So I'm very surprised to hear that, Jen. Very small. I,
1: maybe it wasn't even a Chinese finger trap. Like, I don't know what I got my fingers. To One start.
2: time when we were very, very, very drunk, um, I came up with the name Asparagus Jen because sometimes when Jen dances, she looks like a flying asparagus. And that's that's so bad. Bad. Like, this is why we can't ever be on TikTok because my flying asparagus
1: arms. No, yeah. you
0: never know. You never know, Jen, what will go viral. You think that.
1: other people will be like, listen, I have asparagus arms too. Yeah. Like, I get it. It'll be like, oh, oh my God, you know she know looks like me. Well, it's like, I think all my limbs are like very like, um, they're like long small and long. Like my head, for example, I went to get glasses and, um, is I section. Oh, what?
2: What'd you saying? No,
1: you're close. close. This is very close. I went to get glasses, and I was like, "Oh, these small ones look good on me, right?" And no one was with me. I was just like talking to people at the store. They were like, "Actually, you might want to try on these narrow ones." I was like, "Oh, okay." So like, I put on the narrow ones, and I was like, "How do these look?" And they were like, "They look good, but like, we actually also just got these extra narrow ones." <laughs> And I was like, do I have the
2: smallest set in the entire world? Anyway, so right, there's a, we have a photo of, I have a huge dog. So I have a huge 100 pound rescue dog and oh my God. um, he's like half, he's Husky sheepdog and Alaskan Malamute. So this thing's fucking massive. I have a picture oh of school next to Jen's school. It
0: is, so large compared to... My eyes It's so small. I'll
2: I'll, I'll add that to our group chat.
0: Add that to the group chat. These will all be posted on the Instagram (laughs) the day of this release. So you guys, I mentioned in the beginning, are the owners of Westchester Therapy Group. Can you, I mean either one of you, but can you guys walk us through how this happened? Like where (laughs) you met, how you created this and like what the goal is for that group? Absolutely. It's our favorite story. You want to start it off, Em?
2: Okay, so Jen and I met um, in 2012, which is eight years ago now, in grad school. And I, so Je- so Jen worked in actually in New York in marketing. You guys have a similar backstory. I hated it. But you, yeah, yeah. I think Kim, you like didn't really hate it as much as like it wasn't fulfilling for you. Jen was fucking miserable. Right? I was insane. <laughs> so like jen visible the she's like fucking i guess i'm gonna become a therapist i started out as a special education teacher and then was like oh i'm way too inappropriate to be around children i like fuck no i cannot be around kids um this isn't gonna work for me i like kids i fuck with it but it was just not good when you actually <laughs> in the classroom so that. i was like i guess i'll be a therapist um and we both ended up at this program um at jefferson university in philadelphia And the first day of orientation, (laughs) I looked around and was like, this is going to be weird. And it was like, there was only, how many people in our program? 18? Yeah, 18. 18. It's a small fucking program. It was like a really small program, hard to get into. Um, And... And Jen and I, and I walked up to Jen and said, you're going to be my best friend.
1: Like, I just, like, took a look around. That's so nice. It's almost, Cam, it's almost like what you said about your husband, that you're like, I'm going to marry him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you're mine.
2: I wasn't for sure about the marriage, but I was definitely sure about Jen. And... um <laughs> And
1: I so, was like, and I was like, okay.
2: <laughs> and Jen, who's like the most, like oh, I guess so, like fucking like such are you, is um is Virgo a water sign? You're so like watery. You're just like oh, I'll just do that.
0: I'm, I'm like, like, all right, why not? You're really? Your watery asparagus. Yes, you were you're the bossy yes. around. Around <laughs> needs to be cooked a little bit longer.
2: Um, and so we went through grad school, and we did. It's so funny. We've told stories in grad school. How would we? <laughs> We had told us in a few of our episodes that we did a thing in grad school where we'd study really hard and then we'd get super, super fucking high. <laughs> and then if we could remember everything while high, we thought we were ready for the test. So we were kind we of- We did so, pretty good. We did great. It's stuff, a great idea. Right? I mean, really, it was very challenging and we ate a lot of lobster ravioli at that time too. So much. Um, uh, and lobster ravioli while you are high? It was, it was a thing we did. We don't know what <laughs> Listen, it will
1: change your life. I don't know if I can fuck with that. It'll, okay. also, it'll also fuck with your stomach. Like, I think you really struggled after.
2: You're going to shit everywhere. But, um, <laughs> okay. So, and so then we hit the end of grad school, and we both, like, kind of had some opportunities and, like, was trying to figure out what the hell we were doing, and I was just like, I think we got to start a private practice um and i went to jen and she's like no 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 and i was like you fucking have got to do this please i'm the
1: anxious one i'm like the anxious cautious one that i'm like i really have to think about things
2: and i was like no this is like the only solution we have here finally get jen on board and we started in a really shitty basement office (laughs) in westchester pennsylvania they had
1: these like cave crickets in there like Like, we would be seeing we would be (laughs) seeing our clients (laughs) We and there was like money. Yeah, there we'd be seeing clients. There'd be like a cave cricket on the wall. We'd be like, oh god,
2: really oh, got to keep so my bad. composure here. It was oh, there was no air conditioning. There was no heat. It was like I understand. actually we did. We had this. We had this heater.
1: It was like this gas fireplace that was definitely broken, and so oh, we yes. had to close. We had to close the doors when we turned it on and we would get asphyxiated pretty much. while we were
2: gas, Like poisonous gas. I mean, this was like literally, it was the only thing we could afford, right? We're like out of grad school and yep. we're like, we'll do anything, right? Like to be our own bosses. Like we both kind of knew we wanted to do this. Um, and so we just did anything to get started. We would talk to any other therapist. We would bring, take them out to eat, take them out to coffee, fucking write letters. I mean, anything everything all on the idea of we cannot create another shitty therapy group we cannot have any more psychobabble we cannot keep making therapy so fucking high up on a hill pretentious and this was the way we were going to do it
1: (laughs) And we wanted, we wanted a space where, as we talked about earlier, where we felt like we could really be ourselves in our profession, right? Like, so the people that we are outside of therapy, we are in as therapists too, yeah. right? I mean, we're not talking about ourselves. No, no. But we are very much ourselves in the room. And so that's kind of what we modeled the practice on. And the people, we have now, what, have 15 other therapists in the practice. Um, And so we make sure when we bring other therapists on that they share those values, that they also are coming from this kind of down-to-earth place where they feel like they can be fully themselves. Like we really try to cultivate their ability to be themselves in the room. Um, Because once again, we believe that the therapeutic relationship is the most important thing. And people are going to come back, right? Like, Cam, you and Erin. Aaron. Erin's her name, right? Yeah. Erin's <laughs> getting a lot of shout-outs today. Shout-out Erin. Erin, right. Like, you built such a relationship with Erin. It's the most important thing. Like, seeing her on the street, you're, like, pumped to see her. <laughs> so, so we really wanted a space where our clinicians felt like they could be
0: themselves and they could form real relationships with their clients. It's so important. It really is. And again, I said, like in my trial runs, it was just like a clear distinction of the relationships I felt already with each one. And I think that that's a question I get a ton and I'm curious to hear a therapist's perspective. But for someone who's looking to get into therapy and they don't know where to start, what would you recommend they do?
2: So yeah, so so a lot of it depends on, um, we always like to acknowledge like the finances behind it, you know, therapy isn't free. So if you're in a situation where you need to, you're going to be using your insurance, then I would say first contact your insurance provider and ask um, what your in-network providers are. Also, if you have an HSA or an FSA, most therapists will take that even if they're out of network. So first is like figuring out like what is your budget around it and what this is going to look like. Um, There's tons of ways of getting sliding scale and low cost um therapeutic support but it's something to keep in mind when you're going out there and looking around and then Cameron, can i would say like exactly what you did like therapist shop you can go on and you can google and you can get into like psychology today and it has like a, if you write in your zip code a gajillion therapists come up right take a look mm-hmm. and say like who speaks to you Even in their photos, like what looks like someone you're comfortable with, who do you think could understand your story? And especially if you're looking for something very specialized, like an eating disorder or trauma, um, it's really important to have someone who specializes in that. It's not all therapists. If you were going for, um, right, if you had um, something going on with your brain, you would go to a neurologist. Same thing with therapy, like look for the specialization.
1: Right. Like couples therapists too. Make sure they're a couples therapist.
2: Oh my gosh, yes.
1: Because that's a really Definitely. tough one. Um, and and yeah, and we also encourage, see if they'll do free phone consultations, oh, right? Because if you can connect with a therapist over the phone, like you get a sense for their personality, see if they use humor, um, yeah, like something I that's- I mean, it's also real,
2: Google them. Would, yeah, yeah, Google them. See, them. see if they're on social media, see if they've done articles- you know, like try to get an understanding of their voice and what they're like. And you like can stop
1: ask- the shit out of them before yeah. you go.
2: <laughs> and you can ask them questions too. Like it, it, we had a long withstanding thing where we feel like therapists have all the power and it really shouldn't be that way. They're actually working for you and it's a mutual relationship. And so make sure that that feels right for you.
1: you I definitely be agree. Right. Like you should be the... Um, kind of director of your own life yeah. and in the past in old world therapy it was like oh well the therapist is the expert of my life when really you should be the expert of your life and the therapist is just there to support you and guide you to figuring out what that looks like
0: yeah and I mean you said like phone consultations I did that with a few even like I asked shout out Aaron, but like even a few others I was like okay well if I do can I do like one visit? And if we choose not to work together, would th- would I be charged? And if we do, it can just go to my balance. And a few of them were like, no, I'll do a free first time visit. Mm-hmm. And honestly, just asking the question because it might not be highlighted, but I realized the finance... Like the financial expense that goes into therapy and the yeah. privilege that is involved with it. Mm-hmm. I wish if there was one thing, I mean, there's so many things I wish I could change in the world, but one of them is that I wish therapy could be accessible for everyone Absolutely. because it's so helpful.
2: Absolutely. Right. And like, and we can go into a whole thing about this, what makes it so difficult, but it has a lot to do with private insurance companies and what the reimbursement is. And, you know, it's one of the things we probably don't talk about enough is like, you know, we talk so much about. Um, nurses and doctors and what has happened with COVID-19, therapists have really been on the front lines too. We have so many therapists that we work with that are burnt out, that are struggling. So many new people in therapy, so many emotions that are coming up. Um, and so, you know, therapists work really hard and do deserve to get paid. And unfortunately, insurance companies fucking suck. so <laughs> mm-hmm. It's one of the things that makes it so difficult, which is why we could get a whole, ideally, a whole recall in everything that happens in this country. But the other thing I would say is always ask if there's a sliding scale as well. And often a lot of places, especially at a group practice, will have someone who's pre-licensed. And that doesn't mean they're not trained. It means they haven't acquired the ridiculous amount of hours or maybe had the finances to pay to take the test. And they can have just as much experience, but usually they're cheaper to see. So you can always ask if they have anyone pre-licensed as well.
1: Right. And the good thing, I mean, I, I don't want to say like the good thing about COVID, but <laughs> the one thing about COVID that um, has helped is that uh, all ther- most therapists have gone virtual, right? Mm-hmm. And so virtual therapy has actually become way more accessible to a lot of people. And so if people are in rural areas where they were having trouble finding a therapist, um That now, you know, if you're in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, you can see a therapist in Philadelphia if you're comfortable doing virtual. And the truth is that, you know, at first when we were switching to virtual, I had already seen a few clients virtual, but taking our whole caseload virtual um, was a little bit jarring. But we find that in certain cases, um, some clients are more comfortable with it. They're in their own home. Um, There's something about the barrier of the computer sometimes that allows them to be more vulnerable. Um, and so, there are times in which it's actually helpful for it to be virtual for the client.
0: I literally was just saying this. I don't know if I want to go back, yeah, to in person because for me, you know, I meet every Wednesday at one fifty, and it's a bit of a random time. I feel like I'm eating lunch, then I'm rushing to get <laughs> to her office. It's like thirty blocks away. It's just so convenient to be able to work or do whatever I need to right up into the point plop it on, be on my couch. It, it's a, it's incredible. Absolutely. I mean, I think that things, and this goes to more than just therapy. I mean, look at everyone working from home. It's changing the workforce. Yep. COVID has done a ton and there's been so many negative things, but it, it also has forced us to really reconsider and rethink how we're doing everyday things from an in-person versus a virtual thing. So I think especially right now, given that not only are people's emotions heightened and anxiety is at all time high, I would say trying to take advantage of the telemedicine aspect that's available right now is huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is something that uh,
2: people with disabilities and disability uh, activists have been wanting for years for things to be more accessible, right? And of course Mm -hmm. it took like everyone and there's such an ableist part of this that it has anyone who's able-bodied has now been able to access all these things people with disabilities have wanted for forever. And I think it's important for all of us to try to be much more flexible with people moving forward. I know Jen and I will be keeping the option for virtual open for any of our clients moving forward no matter what, if they want that offer. That's not something therapists did before and it's something our whole practice will be doing. And if you aren't getting that same type of flexibility with your work, speak up for yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. That's incredible. It's great. So everyone listening, and I have to add you guys because I do have a list of recommended therapists on a blog post from people within the Freckles Foodie family because people are always like, who should I see for a therapist? And I don't feel comfortable dolling out Erin to everyone. (laughs) And (laughs) nor do I Yeah. I just, A, like that's just the one line that I will draw and I don't feel like seeing all of these people in a waiting room. And so, and I also want to have access to her. I don't want her to get too busy, but I ask people for recommendations and I compile the list and obviously majority of them are New York, but I will obviously add you guys. And so for anyone who's listening, I'll put that list in the show notes, but you're also getting a feel for these incredible ladies so don't you know feel free to reach out to them as a potential client
1: absolutely and and once again our entire practice the clinicians that we hire holds the same values that we do we make sure that our practice is built off our clinicians being down to earth and once again we you know, if you do come into the practice, we recommend you therapist shop too, you know, that, that just mm -hmm. because we hire therapists that, you know, share the same values doesn't mean that everyone is the right fit for everyone. And that's okay.
2: Well, and also it doesn't have to be horrible for it to not be right. We have this idea that if something's like good enough, then we should just stick with it. And like, I wholeheartedly don't agree the same thing for your career, same thing for your relationship, you know, like it doesn't have to be like abusive for you to leave something. And so it just doesn't feel right with your therapist. It's time to get a new one. And I would say the same thing to my clients as well. You don't have to hate me. It doesn't have to be horrible, but sometimes just need different. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: And it's okay. great. Like I'm taking a break or I want to try something different. Um, And we, uh, I know Emily and I are totally comfortable with that, that we... Once again, you know, when you become a therapist, you work a ton on yourself. You do we we always say that grad school was the greatest most expensive therapy that we've ever gotten because most of grad school is working on your own reactivity so that you're not bringing it into the room with the client, right? Because the space is for the client. We create that space for the client and so My point of saying this is that we don't feel that rejection, you know, that, because I think oftentimes clients would be like, oh, you know, I don't want to break up with them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Um, It is our job to make sure that we're dealing with our own emotions so that you can make the best decision for yourself. And I think that's really important for people to hear because, you know, some people who are going to therapy who are people pleasers and don't want to hurt other people's feelings that therapy needs to be about the client and what's going on for them. Um, and if you don't feel like it's a right fit, then it's essential for you to say that or take a break or have a conversation about it or see if you can find something someone else because your relationship with your therapist is is
0: so important. I totally agree. And so I actually haven't shared this on my platform just because it's not a thing that's happening anymore right now, especially. Mm-hmm. But I actually recently, like last month, had the sudden. I don't know, it just came to me during this podcast I was listening to where I was like, you know what, I think I want to be a therapist. And I honestly like met with five different people. I was looking into the different licenses. Like I I was leaning more towards becoming a licensed social worker Mm -hmm. and doing therapy work with that. But Honestly, with everything that's happening in my life, I just don't think that it's the right time. I do think maybe like when I'm older, it might be something I look into. I have no freaking idea. It might never be, but I got really excited about it for a month. But I'm curious, how did you guys, I know you mentioned one of the reasons you got into it was because you just didn't like your therapy experience, but what really got you interested in the industry? One of the things we always say is that therapy is a calling
2: is that mm-hmm. usually if you, there's probably a reason. And I wonder if this happens for you often, Cammy, which is like people in your life will come to you. Everyone comes to you for advice. Yeah. People come to you. You coach people with stuff. For most of us in this field or the people that you know, it really is, it, it's more than being really good at reading textbooks. It's an art. And that art right. is a calling. So typically in your life, you've been the person that people have come to. You feel confident in that role. Um, and I think that was accurate for both Jen and I and that we, something we sort of denied for a long time that led us into different careers. And then we saw unhappy. We were like, Oh, we're supposed to be like one-on-one with people helping them.
1: Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. when, when I was in New York for a year, I'm so I moved to New York after college. I, I once again have a similar experience. My, you know, I, I, Majored in psychology, but was told that, you know, you're never going to make money in that you have to go into business from my parents My parents were the same exact way um, and so went into marketing in new york city realized how miserable I was because um All I was doing—it was a very small company. I was focusing on and asking the CEO like all these questions about his divorce because that's really all I cared about. (laughs) Inappropriate. It was very inappropriate. My boundaries were horrendous, but I was just like so. I I was just. I was so, and I worked at this place that was this like luxury company, and it worked with all these like luxury brands. And for some people, that would have been so so cool. Um, like they were going into Chanel and they were, and, and once again, it is just not my thing. And so you really realize when you're doing something that doesn't fit for you, that it's when you start doing the things that really do fit. Like when I started to become a therapist, it really doesn't feel like work. I know that's so cliche when people say, oh, if you love what you're doing, you never feel like you're working a day in your life. It actually Mm -hmm. feels that way where, um, it just being able to connect with clients is so fulfilling um, in a way that I never felt in marketing or ever felt in any sort of business career. And so I think it's something that's kind of innate in a lot of ways, you know, and when we talk to other people about what we do and talking to people all day, um, Sometimes they'll be like, oh my God, I could never do that. Like, I would never, could never listen to what people were saying, or, oh God, people are just complaining at you all day.
2: That's the number one thing people always say, like, how yes. can you listen to that? But it's not complaining, it's honesty, man.
1: Yeah. Like it's, and it's Mm -hmm. a level of connection that you don't really get anywhere else. Like even during quarantine, quarantine was a very isolating experience for most people. Um, and of course, isolating for us too, but we also have the privilege of creating these connections with our clients, um, that, once again, are about the clients, but also feel very fulfilling for us, right? So, like, even though we're isolated from our friends and family, we're having these, like, very deep, authentic conversations with Absolutely. people. And it's just a, – it's a level of fulfillment that you don't necessarily get um, in your small t- – like, small talk, for example, is extremely painful for me. <laughs> I I hate small talk. uh, It's the worst. I was saying I'm so socially inept these days because all I want to do is like dive into people's issues and I take it into social situations
0: and, you know, I have no boundaries. Um, I will share things and Joe (laughs) will look at me like, why did you just share that? That is not something that needs to be said. I'm like, I I don't know what boundaries are. I I just don't understand. They're completely gone. You would be a perfect
1: therapist. (laughs)
2: You really would. And one of the things talked about is um, if you haven't yet read Emily, Emily and Amelia Nagowski's book, Burnout, it talks about that the cure to burnout is not self care. It's actually um, like community and connection. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. having the ability to have other people that have gone through it it also talks into Brene Brown's work with shame and vulnerability, which is really us. We were supposed to live in communities. You know, this individualistic thing that we've created as a society probably isn't the way human beings were supposed to be we do better with connection. And so that's yep. why therapy can be so important. And it doesn't matter. People all the time, it's like, well, then you're paying for your connection. Your friend should give that to you. No, fuck that. <laughs> that's blind leading the blind. I mean, it's too much. It's too much to put that shit on your friend. sometimes. It's too much to have expectations for people that can't show up. In a therapy room, that person is there for you for that time. That's right. why I love going to therapy. I love talking about myself.
0: Oh, When do you ever get that experience to be able to talk about yourself for 50 minutes straight? And the other thing that I love so much about therapy is that even if I, you know, I say all sorts of shit to Joe and all sorts of shit to my sisters and my best friends, but There's still stuff I hold back every once in a blue moon, just of like the fear of maybe some judgment. You know, Mm -hmm. there are those like thoughts that it's like, oh God, could you imagine what people would think if I said that? You can say them to your therapist. Like I say the most insane things in that room and I just love the fact that there is zero judgment and Mm -hmm. you know, obviously therapists shouldn't be judging, but even if they are, like you don't know them. It's not like they're like hanging out with you in your real life or like, it's not like a friend's gonna cut off a relationship over it. Right. Like, and I,
1: our clients say all the time, like, this is going to sound so crazy and like, blah, blah, blah. It never sounds crazy.
2: crazy. (laughs) Because we've heard it before. Because you're actually not the only person with that scary negative thought. You're not the only person with that that critical judgment. You're not the only person that has anger or hate or embarrassment or shame. We have heard it before. You are not alone. And that's one of the best things that your therapist gets out of their relationship with you is you don't know it but we hear you and we see you and you're giving a gift to us.
0: That's true. I mean, that's how I feel. That's why I'm so grateful for this platform is when I share about these things. And, you know, the reason I do it is to reassure people they're not alone. But on the flip side, I get all of the comments that are like, I, I'm struggling with this too. And I recently, I I went off my um, medication for personal reasons. And I was saying, like, you know, if you want to talk about it more, I'm happy to talk about it over DM. I just don't feel like I need to blast it out to, like, the 10,000 people watching the story. Mm -hmm. But I got a lot of messages being, like, is it because you, like... Could it? you didn't have libido or you couldn't orgasm. I never had those side effects of medication, but Mm -hmm. I know people feel so so much shame over them. Mm -hmm. And so I posted on my stories. I'm like, guys, this isn't why I went off of it. But so many of you are messaging me that you're experiencing this and you feel alone. So I want you to know that I have received over 50 DMs of people being like, I have no sex drive. I can't orgasm. I'm like, you're not alone. Let's just remind you that a lot of people are going through it.
1: Right. And there's so much shame, right, around things that we struggle with, but we don't talk about. You know, that, and and so that's, you know, we're totally aligned on our platforms is that that's why we do our podcast too, is to help people understand that they're not alone in what they go through. Because when you're going through something that people don't typically talk about, it can just feel so isolating um, Mm -hmm. and so shameful. And when you hear that other people are experiencing it too, it's like such a weight
0: that lifts off of you. Such a weight. What would you say, Jen? We can start with you since Emily did the success first. Mm -hmm. What would you say your favorite characteristic is about yourself?
1: Oh, God. Oh God, it's a good one. You're putting me on the spot.
0: Um, I know. It looks like what we talked about in your guy's show. We're trying to. I'm trying to get people to brag about themselves. More. Yes,
1: I love it. Um, so I, I'm going to say my level of empathy. I think it's something that I struggled with growing up. Um, was told that I'm too sensitive or it's, there's something negative about it. Um, but I've really come to understand that it's one of my most important qualities. There are challenges with it, um, but. I think that that's probably my favorite quality about myself, and my sarcasm. <laughs> Love
0: that, Emily. What about you?
2: I think that's funny, Jen. I would agree with that. You're like the most loving, empathetic. And wait, I was going to ask mm-hmm. you to do it for each other. Oh, okay, never mind. Oh. On oh, okay, Emily, yeah, I'll save that for later. Okay, um, for me, um, I think I'm really, really good at expressing gratitude. And speaking love like I'm yes. really good at empowering others and that makes me really happy and the more that I have been able to do that and be so honest and so loving to other people it has allowed me to also have so much more self-love. So I would say that like self-expression in that way it is the best thing
0: about me. Mm-hmm. And then. Jen, what's I'm your ready. favorite characteristic about Emily?
1: I'm so ready. M, um, my favorite characteristic. We talk, we talk about how much we love each other all You're the time right, because right. Of
0: this podcast.
1: Um, my favorite characteristic, the most important one. Um, for me too. In her is how comfortable she is being completely herself, um, and how open and authentic she is. I'm I am very introverted, and doing the podcast is very very hard for me. So um, her ability to just be so expressive and open, um, I really admire. Mm. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, snaps you. for
2: Emily. Thank Emily, you. what's your favorite thing about Jed? Okay. Well, so I was originally going to be like, oh, she's really patient. And like, you know what I mean? She like, it's because of her introvertedness. She can, she does a lot of internal processing. Like Jen has such a good internal um, monologue, but you know what? I'm going to change it. I'm going to say it's her ability to challenge herself. I had to convince Jen to start this podcast. I've had to convince Jen of everything. (laughs) And I make her do it so outside of her comfort zone and she still does it. And that is like such a beautiful gift that she gives me and she gives everyone else around her because I know that like Every time we have to record, whether it's on our own or on someone else's, Jen is dying inside of anxiety. It's so True. hard for her. <laughs> and it's really hard for her to talk about herself. Um, and so she, every single day challenges and she shows up imperfectly. And it's like the thing I love about her the most. Oh,
0: I'm going to cry. Guys, <laughs> so snaps nice. for both of you. And then <laughs> so nice. this I just love, love, love fest. <laughs> and then to close the episode, I do bring it back to food. So, Emily, you can go first again. What would be the three ways to your heart through food?
2: Three ways to my heart through food. So I, um, something I've talked about in my show a lot is I struggled with um, an eating disorder for a very long time. I was inpatient at Renfrew. I was outpatient at other places. Um, I have a long history of an eating disorder. Food for me is connection. Right, mm-hmm. and especially with my daughter, I have refound being a mom. I have found my love of food, love of nurturing myself, and um, what that can be in terms of holidays, in terms of if we're having a bad day, and then sharing an ice cream cone together. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but I um, know yeah, that does. Oh, I fully believe in. Um, I believe that relationships can hurt us and relationships can heal us. And I think my relationship with food was hurt for a very long time. And I now think my relationship with food has been healed. And that's very important to me.
0: I love that. Really a lot.
2: Lot. That was such a good answer. Sorry to make that. was a really good answer. Man, it's a yeah. very, Jen, you have a good relationship with food. You haven't had any disorder
1: <laughs> I do. Well, because my answer was, was going to be peanut butter. <laughs> I was like, shit, how you. am I going to get deeper? No,
0: <laughs> no, no, no. People take this very di- – like that's the other thing, that people take it in any direction they want, and that is totally fine.
2: Well, and that's For- the difference, right? Like, Jen, you've always had – I've had I've I've always had a good
1: relationship with food. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it has never been a source of stress. Um, you know, naturally, my um, genetically, I am pretty thin, and so it hasn't. That's which is a privilege, and you know, it's it's never been a source of stress. It's never something my parents talked about, um, and has never been. Um, something that I've struggled with in some way. Um, I do have a weird obsession with peanut butter. Oh. My screen name was peanut butter 37 <laughs> when I was in middle school. So, and I thought one day maybe I'll grow out of this still didn't happen. So I'm, um, my answer is peanut butter.
0: <laughs> that is. The I answer. mean, I'm with you. So I love anything and everything peanut butter. It's incredible. <laughs> Um, thank you guys so much for being Thanks on here. This was so us. much fun. Thank you so much. This was <laughs> so, <we're>, so fun. <laughs> oh, so fun. This was like an, a full afternoon with you. guys. Yeah, it really was. was. <laughs> um, where is the best place for everyone to follow you?
2: So check us out at WC Therapy Group Um. on Instagram, Facebook, um, or you can also directly message us at Shrink Chicks. You can listen to our Shrink Chicks podcast on every podcast platform it comes out monday mornings if you're interested in having um seeing one of our clinicians um or you know have any questions about seeing a clinician or any advice in that way you can always send us at hello um hello at shrinkchicks.com or contact at wc therapy group and you can also on our website of wc therapy group in philadelphia therapy group you can see all of our amazing clinicians and their bios um, and they're just some of the best people we've ever met so if you're looking mm-hmm. kind of,
0: they're there Okay. All of that will be in the show notes, guys. Do not worry. We got you. Because
1: <laughs> there's um, so much you got to write down
0: there. <laughs> and also, we did record an episode. I was a guest on Shrink Check. Yeah. So that if we're going to figure this all out, but make sure you also go listen to that episode. So that, and Thank I, you,
2: guys. Right. And wait. And so I'll say that that episode, yeah, this, because this Monday is Labor Day, that's coming out Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Um, Freckled Foodie on Shrink Checks.
0: Oh, amazing. Okay, so you guys are beating me to the release date. So guys, it'll be out by the time you listen to this. Good. Um, Thank you so much for being on here. This was such a pleasure. And I hope everyone listening enjoyed. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. It was so much fun recording it. I feel like we became very fast friends all of a sudden. And I will say that the episode they released that I was a guest on is definitely my favorite episode that I have ever been a guest on. So absolutely go check that out over on the Shrink Chicks podcast. So life updates and whatever, let's just chat you and me. Um, I want to first start by saying thank you for the insane support and feedback on last week's episode with Elisa Vitti. I... Really appreciate all the kind messages that people sent me um, about what I kind of opened up about, about everything that's happening, RE, fertility. Um, a lot of people actually messaged me that they similarly had low AMH levels, and they were able to conceive just fine. So I appreciate that, and incur- those encouraging words. I am getting blood work done with doctors, and I guess we will see where this takes us. So that's really my only update there. Um, I was in New York for a few days this past week. And there were a few things that got me thinking. So I really miss New York. I have such a love-hate relationship with New York. I think I dislike a lot of things that everyone dislikes. But I really, really love certain aspects of it. And I miss it so much. And I know I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to just be living at my parents' home right now with Joe and have the space and outside and all of that. I I really am grateful. And there are absolutely positives to it, but I really miss like our home and our space, if that makes sense. I kind of feel like I'm just a nomad and like transplanted, even though this is my childhood home, but in someone else's home in a weird way. Well, it is. Um, So I do miss New York, but Joe is working from home until further notice. We don't have an update. And so Given our layout of our apartment, he just does not feel it would be feasible. And I mean, I agree with him, but you know, marriage is a compromise. So I guess right now we are living in New Jersey. We are still renting that house in New Hampshire for like almost a month which we'll be going to next week which I'm really excited about. And then eventually obviously we'll be back to New York, but I mean none of us fucking know. And I think it's hard because a lot of us are in this weird nomad phase. I got a lot of people messaging me saying that they felt the same way. And I think it can be really overwhelming and anxiety-inducing, especially for me when it's the fear of the unknown, but I'm trying to focus on all of the positives because There are positive things to focus on. And the most important thing is that I'm happy and I'm finding things to make myself happy no matter where I am. But while I was in New York, first of all, we had Shake Shack for the first time in a while. Jesus Christ, it is so good. Oh my God. Heavenly. And I posted about this on my story, but I dip my fries in my milkshake, and I got a few people being like, what the hell are you doing? And I need to know if people do that. So if you can message me whether you do that or not, and if you haven't done that, you have to try. I'm not starting it. I think like the Wendy's or the McDonald's McFlurry, I forget which, but like one of those started it. It is so good. It is just the perfect, sweet, and salty combination of two things I love so much. It was amazing. Um, But I also decided to do like a full closet clean out because I wanted to, A, like swap out my summer for fall clothes and bring them back here. But B, I just felt I've learned during quarantine, I don't need nearly as much as I have. I've been living off of like the same outfits. And I realized that obviously that changes when I'm out and about and we're back to post-quarantine world. But also, I just feel like there's a lot that I don't wear anymore. And I have this weird thing where I can't let go of some of my old work clothes. I don't know if it's like, God forbid, this doesn't work. And I have to go back to the corporate world. It's such a bullshit concept. Because even if I did go back to the corporate world, which I don't see myself doing. But if I did, I mean, A, I like don't fit in any of the stuff I used to wear then. But B, I would hopefully want some newer clothes. Trends have changed. Whatever. So I just wanted to get donate and I'm going to sell some stuff on my Instagram potentially this weekend so stay tuned for that. Um but I was actually I noticed that I was feeling triggered and anxious about the situation because I've definitely gained weight over the past 2 years. I mean no doubt about that. But even like quarantine and I felt I don't know, I just feel kind of removed from certain aspects of my life and I was having these emotions that I realized were bubbling up in like the back of my mind about cleaning out my closet and trying everything on and how that would make me feel and how I would feel when my jean shorts didn't fit or my skirt didn't fit or whatever. And you know what happened? A lot of the stuff doesn't fit and it's okay. I don't know why I was so afraid. I mean, I get what. No, Char. I get where the... Hold on. Sorry, he gets so excited when anyone drives in the driveway. Um, I get where... I mean, I understand why I was anxious about the situation and why that would be triggering, but also when the stuff didn't fit, it was like, okay, you know what? This is really old, shit changes. As I say all the time, our bodies change, we evolve, we grow in many ways, physically being one of them. And a size does not define me. If you listen to Wednesday's episode with Alexis, if you haven't, you should. You know, we are not defined by our physical appearance, our size, our weight, any of that shit. And it's an affirmation I say to myself all the time. You know, you are more than your physical appearance. And I just put this stuff in a pile of donate or sell, and we are moving on. And a lot of it is stuff I don't even need. So there we are. Um, But if anyone else is going through that I mean, I can tell you you're not alone because I'm experiencing it, but I know a lot of other people are, are, are as well. I also talked about gyms reopening on my stories. And it was really interesting because for me, I used to do boutique fitness classes all the time. Like I never worked out from home. And I think mainly that was because I already worked from home and I wanted to like have that as my definite part of the day where I was leaving the apartment. And I never thought I would ever be someone to work out from home. But I have felt like I've gotten such great workouts at home that I'm now kind of torn on how I feel about going back to fitness classes because things like the Peloton app or Kayla Sweat app or Obey Fitness or Melissa Wood Health, like those are things that I use. There are so many options and I do love the ease and convenience. Our house phone is ringing. Are you kidding? This is why I miss a recording studio. Okay, there is so much convenience with working out from home. So my biggest issue when I reflect back on what I used to do is that A, like the financial cost of it all, boutique fitness classes in New York are stupid expensive. B, the class is usually 45 to an hour. I've never seen anything less than that. And you have to like get there. So all in, I feel like it was taking me two hours out of my day, which realistically what I'm trying to be efficient, like I don't have. And And also the scheduling thing always stressed me out, especially in New York when you have to sign up for classes so freaking early. And in a weird way, I do not like the abundance of opportunity. Like I hate that there's so many options because then I get overwhelmed over whether I'm picking the right one. So will I return to boutique fitness classes? Yes, of course, eventually I will do some, but I don't think it'll be as often as I used to because I'm noticing that there are options for things for me to do at home, And at my own convenience, when I want to do them, you know, fit something in when I can, I don't know. I have a newfound respect and love for them. And also, I mean, just COVID-wise, I personally do not feel safe going to a gym or workout class. That's just my personal opinion. But I do miss the social aspect of it. That I definitely miss. I miss the camaraderie and I miss the like Saturday, let's go to a class with a group of girlfriends and then walk around, get brunch, you know, that I miss. I totally get that. Um, what else is going on? I did a mental health check-in for the Freckled Foodie fam the other day on my Instagram. And a lot of people, I think, feel like me where, you know, we're just taking it day by day. Some days are great. Some days are not so great. When they are great, I feel this weird guilt of like, wow, I'm actually kind of happy right now. And I know how much of the world isn't. And when they're not great, it's like, oh my God, this is never ending. And I get that. You're not alone. We're all feeling the same way. Um, It's weird. It's a weird fucking time. And I think we're going to all reflect on this and be like, what the hell was that? And I said to my friend today, I kind of feel as if this timeline from like March till when we are right now, quarantine phase, I guess we can call it, is almost giving New Yorkers a glimpse into a life of like what the rest of the world lives like, minus, I guess, like big city LA or wherever, because we are 100% being forced to slow down. You're not making nearly as many plans as you used to. I mean, I've seen like five friends in the past, I don't even know how long it's been, since March. And yes, I've seen a few of them multiple times, but I used to have plans every single night. Like, it's just so wild to me. And even just like the way we exercise, the way we're eating, the way we're working, I feel like there's so much more leeway and like giving ourselves time and- space to heal and do what we want and not feel forced to do things. I don't know. It's been really eye-opening for me. And I think, yes, I miss what nor- my quote-unquote normal life was, but I'm also reassessing like what that normal was and what I want to include in my future normal. Because I don't want to include everything I used to, if that makes sense. Um, another thing that I'm recently kind of frustrated by, I don't talk about this ever because I think it's kind of annoying, but Instagram-wise, the business aspect of it all depends a lot on like the metrics. So engagement, how many likes, how many comments, the reach of the post, how many people are saving it, like all of that stuff, which I feel like not a lot of people talk about because I feel weird being like, go like my post. And I also once saw a meme that I'll never, ever, ever forget where it's like, it's not the algorithm that sucks. It's just your content. And I kind of, I mean, I agree for the most part, but other times I do think like sometimes algorithm does suck. And I'm really curious because I felt like I was in this like pop-off phase where my engagement was insane and I was thriving. And lately it's dipped and I try not to let it get to me, but I do hate that a part of this job is so numbers focused and I would love to be able to just fully ignore it. But when you think about it from a business perspective, like you can't because that's how you get brand partnerships. And those are the numbers that really matter when you're negotiating rates. So... For anyone who's listening and has like a bunch of influencers or whoever that you love, make sure you're liking and commenting. Commenting's huge on their posts. Like if you want to turn on post notifications, that seems a little aggressive, but like you can. I'm just always curious like why a certain post does better than another one because sometimes it makes zero sense to me, but such is Instagram and such is life. So I think that's all for me. Make sure that you are following at freckledfoodie on Instagram where I'm super, I'm a little too active, um, but everything is on there. Obviously the Instagram for this podcast is at FF and friends pod. And if you guys enjoyed today's episode, I love when people reshare screenshots on their Instagram stories so that I can retag it. So please do that if you're so willing to do so. I love you guys and I hope you have a great weekend. You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcast and rate and or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my way too active channel and at FF and Friends Pod for more information on the podcast. I hope We have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.